Shiny Happy People is Prime Video's number one documentary series, giving audiences an in-depth look at the Institute and Basic Life Principles cult and cult leader, Bill Gothard. Our very exciting guest for this episode is Chad Harris. Chad is an ex-member of the Shiny Happy People cult and shared his story on the docuseries. Today, he is here to tell us more about his life growing up in a cult. Chad, how are you? I am awesome. I am no longer in a cult. I have been <laughs> cult free for quite some time now. And yeah, I am happy to talk about it. Uh, kind of like I did for five hours in Savannah, Georgia, that they only used about maybe five minutes of. But the point is, <laughs> yeah, uh, I am. I'm happy to be here. And I really do appreciate you having me on. Oh, we're so glad that you're here, man. I, I can't wait to hear your story. You know, some of the the feedback that that we've received uh, from viewers of the podcast is it's always cool to hear uh, men's experiences growing up in the shiny happy people cult. We hear a lot of women's experience, um, and and rightfully so. You know, they they definitely had it had a lot more of a difficult time um, in that that type of environment. But people do like to hear what it was like for men as well. So I, I know people are going to be really excited to hear your story. Also, congratulations on the Critics Choice Award nomination for the documentary. That's really cool. Yeah, thanks. I worked really hard on that. Uh, I did so much editing on the series and seriously, just dealing with the producers, you don't know. I'm kidding. Like, literally, I just sat there and talked and the, the team did a really good job. Uh, we were actually uh, in a lot of uh, communication with the team and everything, like especially answering follow up questions and stuff like that. So I know that they really, really worked hard on putting all of it together. And I just couldn't be prouder of them. And of course, of all my fellow castmates who shared their stories as well. There were so many cool people involved um, and, and, you know, incredible validation with the success of the series, obviously. But now this award, I mean, that's just the, the cherry on top, you know. Um, also joining us today, of course, is my very good friend, also a former cult member, Bryce. How are you, sir? I am doing great. I'm excited for us to talk about launching the new website, fundamentalfeetforfun.com. I'm, I'm just I'm so down. I'm we, so ready. We cannot go back to foot talk. We can't do it for this episode unless Chad did. Uh, did Bill Gothard ever play footsie with you, bud? Uh, no, he didn't. Okay. But uh, I'm pretty sure that maybe a couple of the alert cadet leaders did, too. I think they called it like a three legged. Actually, we did do a three legged race. So uh, <laughs> it was kind of like a uh, forced footsie across the field, which there's some alliteration for you, too. See, I can do it, too, Bryce. Forced <laughs> footsie across the field. The old triple mm -hmm. F. Love it. And that is six, six, six. It's the mark of the beast. Oh, mm -hmm. confirmed. Bill Whoa, Gothard is the Antichrist. Dude. We're, we're not even five minutes into the episode and we've already got some crazy conspiracies going now. I know that uh, on the on the documentary series, you were you were featured quite prominently uh, on the series. But, you know, Bryce mentioned that the, the story was was kind of all over the place for you. I, I really want to hear your full story, what it was like growing up in the shiny, happy people cult for you, because your family joined when you were pretty young, right? Yes, uh, I was about six or seven years old when we joined proper. Now, I was raised in a fundamentalist home. My dad was a independent fundamental Baptist preacher, and oh, uh, he had a been a missionary. Kid? Yes, I am a Ooh, PK. Yikes. <laughs> well, you are really problematic. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Like, uh, yeah, it's all the things basically um, that uh, my therapist keeps getting paid for. Um, <laughs> my parents were missionaries to the Netherlands and Belgium before I was born. And uh, they made a stopover in England on the way back to the States. And that's 
where I was born in England while my dad pastored a military work there. But then when I was 10 months old, we moved back to Alabama. So I lost my British accent. Um, so about a few years later, about the time I started becoming of school age, my parents decided to fully homeschool me. I had three older siblings at the time. Uh, my older brother was 10 years older than me, so he was already uh, in Christian school, but they thought it would be a good idea to go ahead and pull him back out and start me and him at the same time uh, toward uh, finishing up school as, as homeschoolers. So uh, at the time, my older brother had a communication problem. He, was, uh, he had a very pronounced stutter, and uh, they couldn't find a curriculum that really worked with his uh, speech issues. Hmm. Also at the time, my parents started going to an OBGYN here in Birmingham. Uh, my mom was entering her 40s. I very clearly, being born 10 years after my older brother, was an oops child. <laughs> and my parents let me know that at every possibility. Um, so, yeah, they didn't want to go through that again. So they talked to their OBGYN about maybe some um, ways to make sure that wouldn't happen, uh, not surgically or anything, but just some alternate ideas. And the OBGYN told them, well, why don't you let God handle that? What? And a yes. medical doctor. Well, this is Alabama. I have to keep that in mind. Uh, but a medical mm -hmm. doctor told them God's will. A medical doctor who was involved in the Quiverful movement. And he gave oh, my mom a wow. copy of the book, A Full Quiver. So at that Wait, this point, was, I'm sorry, I'm mom, sorry. Hang on, back up. This was a male OBGYN yes. that was part of mm -hmm. the Quiverful movement that, for whatever reason, had zero moral problem with staring at women's anatomy all day. Yep. Huh. Okay. Please continue. Just he wanted to. <laughs> confirm that <laughs> apparently that apparently i was good enough for my folks so all right <laughs> they read a, they read a full quiver they absolutely ate it up they recommended it to all their friends and um right about that time as well and this is when i was about six or seven um my folks were still looking for a good curriculum and this doctor who became a fast family friend uh suggested well here comes you know this fellow named bill gothard he's doing these seminars in town why don't we go check that out and that's how my folks bought into the basic seminar and then the advanced seminar and eventually ati mm -hmm. so when i was about seven or eight we switched completely over at ati because you know again one of the things that they sold was it could be taught to every family member regardless of age so i was like you know seven or eight years old my brother was about to graduate high school and he had to finish out his school and something that worked for both of us well that was just a cost savings right there right absolutely yeah the wisdom booklets just for those of of, of you who are not aware what chad is referring to right now is the wisdom booklet curriculum of the advanced training institute right uh which curriculum <laughs> Thank you, Price. Yes. Um, which is essentially the equivalent. Once you finish all the wisdom booklets, we know that's the equivalent of a college degree. That's how advanced yeah. this training truly is. I'm being incredibly tongue in cheek. Oh, you but, too yeah. can be an OBGYN uh, recommending quiverful propaganda to your clients. You know, that's like wild, dude. That's just that <laughs> is crazy to me that an OBGYN was the recruiter for your parents. Insane. Okay. They became, 
Yeah, they became our fast family friends. They were our best friends in the cult. They lived uh, maybe about 45 minutes to an hour away from us uh, south of Birmingham. And we would go to their farm all the time because, you know, he had a large family, obviously. And um, and they all ran a farm, all the kids. And we would go down there and uh, we would hang out with them. We were one of the few families that they actually hung with because everyone at church was too worldly. Right. So yeah, obviously, even yeah. though it was fundamental Baptist, still way too secular and modern. Well, and here's the kicker on that, too. So this um, so this particular doctor and his family and everyone else in his sphere that um, that were involved in ATI came from a Presbyterian church of all things. Oh, interesting. Yes, there was a large Presbyterian church in Birmingham that had a Sunday school class that taught the uh, IBLP stuff and recruited a lot of people into it. But is Presbyterian in Alabama maybe is a little different than Presbyterian outside of Alabama? I don't know. I'm throwing, I'm guessing. I believe this one's called the Presbyterian Church in America, um, which was founded here in Birmingham uh, at that very church. Uh, okay. It is a more conservative <laughs> branch. A matter of fact, uh, they actually uh, have their own police force. They got special permission from the government uh, here in Alabama. You can look this up. They have their own police force and everything because they even have a Christian school on campus and uh, they needed a police force to keep their kids safe and everything, which having uh, a church that's able to access criminal indices, that's not terrifying at all. So <laughs> a, a police force in a Baptist church in Texas is called a deacon. He's already, he's just strapped. <laughs> okay, fair. He's just ready. <laughs> so that that gives you an idea of the kind of church that became an IBLP stronghold in Birmingham. There was also another independent fundamental Baptist church, or it may have been Southern Baptist, on the other side of town that also had a lot of IBLP families. But the rich people uh, went to the Presbyterian megachurch, and we're talking a lot of doctors, a few politicians, that sort of thing. The ones who the Lord had truly blessed went to the Presbyterian oh, yeah. church. Yeah. So for us up in Walker County, which is north of Birmingham and way out where you hear banjo music 24-7, uh, you know, we just had a little backwoods church out there that had 30 people on a good day and 15 of those were relatives. So for my parents to be able to hang out with, you know, some rich people south of Birmingham and everything, that was kind of a, you know, little perk. So, yeah, we took every opportunity to do that. And, uh, yeah, those were considered our people, you know, so because we were all in ATI. So, so you actually had like an ATI church, which is, well, that wasn't my experience growing up at all. We were absolutely the outsiders uh, in the church that I grew up in, uh, in Houston, Texas. We, we did the home church thing for a little while with some other IBLP families. Um, but for, for most of my upbringing, we attended regular churches that were not affiliated with with Gothard or the Shiny Happy People cult at all. And I think same for you, Bryce, right? Oh, yeah. We were involved in like First Baptist Church for almost my whole life. It wasn't until my mid-20s that they ended up leaving and trying to find something else. Uh, I do want to clarify, though. At the time, my dad still pastored a church, you know, up in Walker County. It was separate from that Presbyterian church. We were still independent fundamental Baptists. But we took a lot of the principles from IBLP and dad basically preached that it was every family's responsibility to homeschool their kids. So nearly every family in our church homeschooled. Uh, most of them ATI, if they couldn't afford ATI or couldn't get in any other way, it was just whatever they could piece together. 
we had one family that like let their girl go to a Christian school and we kind of treated them as outsiders. But it got to the point where we actually eliminated Sunday schools because my dad taught that all the families should learn mm-hmm. together during yeah. the Sunday school hour in the auditorium and stuff. So, yeah, we we took all the teachings and everything like to the max level that we could. That That's an interesting point, Chad. Because I had the same experience where I wasn't allowed to go to the kids Sunday school, I had to attend Sunday school or whatever Bible study, whatever you want to call it, uh, with my parents. Um, And a lot of ATI families didn't believe in putting your kids in the nursery that most churches Mm -hmm. offer to families, right? So, you know, you can attend church, you can attend Bible classes without your kids, even your infants, they'll go to nursery and the kids go to Sunday school. ATI families did not believe in that. The shiny happy people cult was very focused on att- families do everything together, and your family should be your best friend. And, oh yeah, you know you don't really need socialization as much. You have, you know, if your church is safe enough for you to not be influenced by the world in it, you can you know hang out with your church friends. But you're really supposed to hang out with your family first and foremost, right? What, so. What's a church friend? What's a church friend? <laughs> right? <I don't... laughs> heard of that what, what's a friend <laughs> the people you see for for like two hours on a sunday yeah, a, a friend is somebody you meet at the homeschool co-op occasionally and you have to ask their name every time no <laughs> so you were going to this presbyterian church but your dad also pastored a separate church no we didn't go yeah we didn't go to the presbyterian church regularly like we would attend whenever they had like an ati event or something got it okay they would hold them there but um, yeah, most of the most of the ATI families that we knew in the area attended the Presbyterian Church. We had our own little thing north of town, uh, out in the backwoods of Walker County. So it was just okay. yeah, we were scattered about, but it was still close enough to where you know we kind of had a little network of ATI families in Birmingham. So your family joined the Shiny Happy People Cult, started doing the Wisdom Booklets, and and you were how old at this time? About seven or eight. That's pretty much what my family experienced where I was the oldest, but my little brother, I mean, when we joined, he must have been maybe four or five years old. Uh, So very early exposure to this type of fundamental cult ideology. Which is what what sucked is, you know, like before that, I was able to watch some limited amount of TV, mostly PBS, but I watched like the Disney Afternoon once in a while, you know, watch like Chippendale Rescue Rangers or oh, something like heathen. that, DuckTales and all. Oh, yeah, totally. And uh, after we joined ATI, that went right out the window. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, TV out, you know, we did keep a TV around to watch uh, VHS cassettes that were mostly approved by uh, ATI and we would go back and forth on how much we would allow from there because let's face it, every cult family followed the rules a little differently. And I'm pretty sure that was by design, but I do remember like a little bit of life before the cult, we were still fundamentalists. We were still very much sheltered, but it went to the extreme after we went all in with Gothard. So I was probably more like your older brother. I I was homeschooled all the way through. Uh, I never went to a public or private school. So, so that was a little bit different, but my family was a little bit more relaxed until we got heavily involved with the shiny, happy people cold. And I, I, I remember so vividly asking my mom where a particular movie was. And she told me, Oh, I, I threw all those out. I was just like, Oh, wow. Well, that's a bummer. Okay. I guess I'm going to just watch these feature films for families movies from now on. <laughs> 
Remember those? Hey, tre- Treasures of the Snow. Mr. Pete Maravich. What a classic. <laughs> that one they showed on, on the Shiny Happy People docuseries when I talked about, oh, you were only supposed to watch stuff that was approved by IBLP, and they cut to that ancient dude going like, Welcome to these gospel piano lessons. Oh, oh, just like, oh, man, I, I want to go back and see just how bad that, that was. guy looked like the Crypt Keeper. I'd never seen that. Right? And it just instantly I was like, imagine the trauma. <laughs> Some poor little kid watching this corpse <laughs> with his Starts weird his fingers fall fingers. off. Like, <laughs> gross, dude. Dude falls asleep between the lessons. Is like, okay. <laughs> and we're back. Pop, pop, All right, now we're gonna... <laughs> so did your family have uh, additional children after you joined the Shiny Happy People cult? Yes. Uh, they, uh, they had two more kids after me. Uh, one born seven years after me, one born 10 after me. So, yeah, I was like right in that sweet spot in the middle where I could either qu- count myself the oldest or the youngest, depending on what side of the family we were talking about here. So there were six of us all together uh, when all was said and done. And I'm number four. Oh, that's uh, that, that's a pretty good number for, you know, obviously mm-hmm. not the, the Baker's dozen that you really want to hit as uh, a member of the shiny happy people cult but six is respectable my family only had three and so we were kind of you know shunned a little bit for that not to mention my dad you know had a vasectomy uh, which he got reversed after after my family joined the shiny happy did you sing in the choir no no because we didn't have any additional kids after that Uh. yeah it was a it was a big point of contention in the family I'm pretty sure that Bill himself sung in the reversal choir, which that raises some questions. Uh, <laughs> oh, his weird falsetto voice. Gross. Ugh. But yeah, uh, my um, my oldest sister did end up having nine kids herself. Um, six boys and three girls in that order. And my youngest sibling is actually uh, younger than four of their nephews as a result. So, wow. Yeah. My mom and my oldest sister were like pregnant together twice it was and can you imagine like some of the talk i overheard as a kid (laughs) so did they were they a part of the cult as well initially like they followed some of the ati stuff but eventually they uh like my oldest sister homeschooled um Mm -hmm. uh, all of her kids and i think they eventually started using like other curriculum and everything they kind of strayed away after my family eventually moved off to Europe, which is another thing in and of itself. But um, yeah, initially they started. I remember uh, they had the character sketches, books, and everything like we did. So yeah, they, they started fell out in it and yeah, became reprobates or apostates mm-hmm. or, or whatever it's called. As 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 you progressed through, you know, the wisdom booklets, as you got older, was was there was there a time where you kind of started questioning what you were learning, what you were experiencing in the shiny happy people cult? Not while I was in it, because I didn't dare do so. Uh, I was actually introduced to complete strangers by my parents as the kid we spanked the most. Um, and yeah, there's a reason for that. Um, I was pretty vocal about things, especially when I, when I was younger, like asking questions and wanting to see just how far I could push the envelope. And it wasn't like anything completely rebellious, like, you know, you know, sneaking out and drinking at age eight. But um, it was it was really more of like, you, you know how it was. You know, first time obedience was a thing. I did not really sign on to that ever. And so I was uh, constantly in trouble for that. 
But I got pretty good at, you know, shutting myself down and starting to read the room as to what I could get away with when. And nine out of 10, I could probably, you know, get away with it. But that being said, um, I didn't really have a chance to really explore too much outside of myself because after when I was 12, you know, my folks uh, moved off to Europe, took me along with them as missionaries back in the Netherlands and Belgium again. So there really wasn't much I could do in a foreign country that wouldn't, you know, make myself comfortable. Like it's not like here in the States where at least you speak the same language and everything Right, right. Uh, over there. It was more like, you know, you're in a completely different culture. And of course it was always like, instilled in me like oh this is a dangerous place or spiritual darkness you know uh things can happen to you over here and you know we're here to try to reach a dark land of mostly catholics and protestants to jesus uh they're, all, so, they're always trying to offer 10 year old chad a beer legal. Yeah, Fine. that actually happened but uh <laughs> it was, but it was um but you know i didn't really have the um i really didn't have like the uh, opportunity to really, you know, explore and ask more questions. And it was more to my safety to, you know, play ball and everything until I could move out on my own. And then by that time, I pretty much had most of the fight beaten out of me. So yeah, I just kind of went along with it until, you know, I moved out. So, mm. uh, and, and at a certain point, you know, I got caught up in the zeal, like everybody else, like, you know, they talked about the Joshua generation. I was part of that briefly. Um, mm. I went to Patrick Henry College for their teen camps. Really? Uh, back in 2001. Yep. I was in their very first teen camp that they ever held. And for uh, for the two weeks I went to camp, we studied constitutional law and journalism. Yeah, and other kids got to go to space camp. But, <laughs> like, here I am 16, and I'm studying Supreme Court cases and everything uh, in an effort to eventually make America great again before it was cool. And um, and I was really, really into it. Of course, this is June 2001. About three months later, I learned, oh, wait, the world is way more complicated than I thought. And I quickly, like, dumped all those ambitions, yeah, rather fast. <laughs> For those of us that don't know, uh, Patrick Henry College was was founded by a guy named Michael Ferris, uh, who also founded the Homeschool Legal Defense Fund, uh, which basically, uh, I, I guess, they they really just provided legal advice, support would would go to court with homeschool families if uh, if the local authorities were were qu were questioning the validity of of their schooling methods, right? Spoilers, it didn't actually happen as often as they claimed. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, as long as you pay your school taxes or property taxes, you're pretty good. No one really cares. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Patrick Henry College, I remember they were they were basically like propping this up as Ivy League education for homeschoolers. So you go to Patrick Henry College, you get this classical education uh, that is not, I mean, they weren't uh what's what's the word um accredited yeah they weren't accredited at all were they nope yeah i think so, they still aren't unless i checked unless it's like tracks or some national accreditation or you know they, they may be now sure but at the time they absolutely were not i remember there was a kid who turned down a full ride scholarship to harvard so he could go to patrick henry i met him <laughs> oh you met him that was the one who made a 1600 on his sat yeah, <laughs> I mean, you you graduate from Patrick Henry College, it, it doesn't apply anywhere. 
So if he wanted to go to law school after that, I mean, he's screwed because he has a worthless degree. But what they can do is put you in touch with some of the like-minded uh, Congress people and everything over in Washington, and you could work for them as aides and as office workers and everything. And that was the avenue that they would get people uh, in on, and that was what was promised to us. And you know, sixteen-year-old me thought that was great until I was like, "Oh wait, well maybe I don't have interest in that at all." So <laughs> I remember reading the brochure, and I remember going, "I can't do." this i can't because they were like hardcore government classes and and Mm -hmm. you were gonna have to do uh papers and stuff like i had never done any of that i was like i can't i can't my parents like what are you interested in this i'm like how is this a good idea for me i can't you will throw your money away i i don't know how to school okay (laughs) i actually went through the constitutional law I guess curriculum that Michael Ferris offered uh, mm-hmm. for my senior year of homeschool high school. Uh, it was very in depth. It was actually pretty interesting too. But one of the one of the big selling points of it was that uh, you would do like these remote virtual sessions, and this was before Zoom was a thing at all. Uh, but you would do these these sessions with Michael Ferris and. You know, he would go through the case law that you'd been studying that week and answer questions, explain in more detail. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was completely pointless uh, other than getting this background education in a very niche legal study, constitutional law. A very niche thing. Yeah. No one. And that was the only major they offered at the time too, government. Yes. Um, eventually, they would offer like a general liberal, liberal arts degree uh, on top of that, just to say they have more than one major. But like that was what they were founded for, like specifically to, mm-hmm. you know, put people uh, who were raised in IBLP and in very like minded uh, curriculums and everything into government. It was part of the Joshua Generation movement. Yeah. Or as someone once said on, you know, some uh, thing I watched one time, world domination was the goal. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I said the That thing. is your famous um, quote from the shiny, happy people documentary. <laughs> the goal was world domination. But bringing that all back around, though, you see, Michael Ferris was friends with Bill Gothard for the longest mm-hmm. time. He was there when the homeschooling curriculum, ATI, was founded. Uh, he was very much a friend of the Shiny Happy People cult. Um, he gave Bill Gothard a Lifetime Achievement Award from HSLDA back in 2010. And then in 2014, when all the allegations against Gothard came forward, he tried to distance himself, saying, well, I never really was comfortable with like Christian patriarchy and all that sort of thing. And I think it was just a step too far. I'm like, dude, you had like 12 kids. You, you were, you yourself said that Gothard brought you into Quiverful. So, you know, pick a lane and own it. Well, he was buddies with Doug Phillips too, from vision forum. That's true. That is Uh, very true. And we, we covered that in the, uh, surviving the shiny, happy people cult, uh, podcast series that Bryce and I did. And, that guy was super problematic as well. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's crazy that no one saw it, what that sort of environment ultimately, when, when you give those kind of people absolute power, they are going to abuse it. And that's what Bill yep. Gothard did. That's what Doug Phillips did. I don't really know a whole lot about Michael Ferris. I don't think he's ever been accused of anything along those lines, but it wouldn't surprise me. 
he hasn't he, he hasn't like been accused of anything. He's been <clears throat> he's been more of a lobbyist, like independently now. He's worked for uh, various things. He's gotten out of the homeschooling game uh, completely, and he's just found other places to grip now. But um, essentially, like he's still running the same. Uh, stuff just under a different name and mm -hmm. ultimately like that's what i find disappointing about you know where things have been going since shiny happy Bill. don't get me wrong i love the way the docuseries turned out i love the way it turned up the pressure on bill gothard and iblp i mean guys as people who grew up in the shiny happy people cult how crazy is it that the average person now knows what iblp is you know, wild. before when you explained it to people, you it, it would mm -hmm. sound like you were trying to explain all this weird, like drawing lines everywhere, conspiracy and everything. And they put it into four episodes and it was brilliant. But what's disappointing to me is they're still around. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> they're so, still out there doing their like, thing. One of the things that uh, that we talked about a little bit, we realized that we were all at the Knoxville seminar at the same time in the same year uh which yeah i can't believe you still have that so you were part of that alert cadet thing at the same time i was chad which yes i was orange three. orange three orange three i remember yep did you do the uh it wasn't an obstacle course it was like a balloon like we were attacking you know strongholds of pride and lust with water balloons did you do that exercise there were uh the, i believe there were either one or two towers uh memory serves it may have been one uh they had little panels on them and there was a man up top squirting yes. everyone with a hose while we tried to catapult water balloons and knock yes. down those panels <laughs> with the water balloons i remember that <laughs> my team won my team really won. i don't know how many oh, so times you made us do push-ups you asked <laughs> <laughs> it was my fault yeah because my team was just so awesome I was on one of those uh, flyover walkways watching guys and just laughing, just like, wow. <laughs> what a bunch of Glad nerds. I don't have to be a part of that. <laughs> Did you do the rappelling too, Chad? Uh, no, I fainted. You um, fainted? <laughs> yes. Okay, so so to, to paint the picture for everyone in the audience, if you've ever been to Knoxville, there is a tower in the middle of uh, the UT campus that's called the World's Fair Tower. It mm -hmm. has this big golden ball up top, which you can make your own jokes about that. And um, Very on various levels of this tower, they set up like various plywood uh, walls that we could rappel down mm -hmm. in full rappelling gear. So we yep. got this... Uh, actually quite humorous uh briefing about you know how you had to you know put your hand right there where your uh where your parents slap you and uh you had to lean all <laughs> the way back that. and everything i do almost like it was yesterday because i was so <laughs> terrified of having to do this and i got out there i got all harnessed up i held the rope as i was instructed i leaned all the way back next thing i remember the world started to spin and they're pulling me back up they're like you're sitting out. You're not doing this. And I was just like, okay. And so, yeah, they had to pull me up. I, I fainted completely, and I took a lot of shit for that later, and I think I had to do push-ups. That is so <laughs> funny because that I, I remember it, but I don't remember it as vividly as you do, Chad. I just remember we had to wear gloves. Otherwise, we would get rope mm -hmm. burned. And I just remember jumping off the side of it and, and rappelling down on those, those plywood panels, exactly like you're talking about. I remember the older because, you know, I just turned 12 during this, like the second day of Alert Cadet was my birthday. 
And I remembered like the older uh, kids that we that we were partnered with because I was still considered younger. Uh, I remember they were like jumping all the way down, like, you know, 10 feet at a time, it seemed like. And me, I was just like standing there on the ground watching like, yeah, I can't. Not at all. <laughs> I'm going to pass out again. Watching this. But we did the uh, obstacle course. I fell off the zip line tower like immediately after I pushed off. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was on my back staring up at the at the sky, and everybody around was going, ooh. <laughs> Dude, this so, was not a good experience for you. This was <laughs> I actually had fun with it. It was even more traumatizing for you. <laughs> just it just made it all worse. <laughs> I hated uh, every minute of it. It was absolutely brutal. Uh, I begged dad. I was like, seriously, can I just sit in the and the things I won't make a noise. I'll look up all the Bible verses. I'll listen to Al Smith's old ass sing. I just, you know, I, I just need to not be an alert cadet. And um, and he was like, no, son, you know, this will make you a man. I was That's like, right. Okay. So this is yeah. equipping you for manhood. That's right. Yeah. Uh, throwing water balloons at a dude squirting <laughs> you with a hose. But what kind of man? What would Freud say? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Actually, let, okay, here it is. I actually found the thing about the uh, water balloons. Oh, great. It was called Spiritual Warfare Maneuvers. Yes. That was dude. what that exercise was yes. called. <laughs> and it was the the tower was a stronghold of pride or lust or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Or fun. They should have uh, just called it fun. Stronghold of fun. <laughs> All right, here it is. Uh, the uh, the following is a list of common lies that Satan uses to enslave Christians. Look up the verse list and encircle the correct truth to combat the lie. You will be asked to correctly state the truth when you're presented with the following lies before you can fire your balloon of truth at the lies of the castle of strongholds. Points will be awarded by how many pieces of the castle you can knock down. So, yeah, uh, you have the balloon of truth because uh, the truth <laughs> apparently is very liquid. <laughs> And inflated. The way they try to shoehorn, uh, like, you know, the, the Bible talk into every single thing. Uh, it, like, we're, we're just we're just out there burning energy, essentially. But no, they had to, like, make it spiritual somehow. Like, you know. Everything. <laughs> no matter how forced. Everything had to trace back to some sort of biblical truth or spiritual principle. I will say the one good thing about Alert, Alert Cadet, this is the only nice thing I will ever say about it. The lunches that we had that week were fire. Like... I don't remember uh, I don't any of that. Recall. I remember we had KFC the first day, Subway the second day, Pizza Hut the third day. I do remember. Actually, now that you mentioned, I remember Subway uh, because we got yep. Subway after we uh, we basically did some community service. Like we were picking up trash in a park or something like that, and we mm -hmm. were rewarded with Subway. Actually, do, do you know what the uh, do you know what the community service one was called? No, is that uh, in the manual? <laughs> yes, That's search and alert rescue. Cadet. <laughs> to deploy the objective to deploy is 10 man teams to rescue recover or renew events and places in and around the world's fair park to experience the skills needed to be aware of needs and to take the initiative to meet them caution in your attempts to help people be aware that some may not want help in that case graciously excuse yourselves and look for those who will also welcome your help also you may encounter individuals with evil natures pray for discretion and avoid these <laughs> That is such a nice way to say there's going to be some crackheads out there. <laughs> Stay away from those people. <laughs> Let's just ship these kids downtown Hollywood and deploy them and see if they can help out. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> search and rescue. Hilarious. You're searching for and rescuing trash. That's what you're doing. Yep. 
dude yeah. i it's so funny too because obviously this was the alert cadet program right and alert mm-hmm. stands for as we know airland emergency resource team and these right. were the kind of missions they were getting sent on it wasn't I mean, it was basically all just disaster relief that they were helping out with. That the actual alert men, as they were referred to, uh, that's what they were being sent out for. Hurricane cleanup. Uh, Bryce mentioned that they actually helped out with the uh, the Oklahoma City incident. I don't want to say the B right. word, um, but yeah, and just the New Braunfels flood in my hometown. Oh, really? Sure, when yeah, when the river flooded. Yep, they came down, uh, deployed. They stayed at my church, uh, at the gym. That we had because we're a all the ladies church. were a flutter. Oh, they came in and sang on sun, Sunday morning, you know, and the alert men's choir. Mm-hmm. Exclusive performance. Wow, yeah. what an honor for y'all! I knew a couple of the you guys were on the battlefield. No, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> the best thing that uh, that happened is when you, when there's a disaster, you know, companies donate, right? So Bud Light would always can water and deploy Mm -hmm. water and so you i got to see all the alert boys and they thought it was hilarious they're drinking it's a bud light can but it's water and they were they were just hamming it up (laughs) much much to uh the chagrin of their sergeants and oh i'm sure and actually that's the appearance of evil (laughs) uh you should have just gotten dehydrated and and died in the heat instead of drinking (laughs) from a bud light can there's the dirty river water boil it and then you drink that or here have a truth balloon (laughs) in addition to the alert cadet challenges and all the other fun stuff that was happening at knoxville fun and like the biggest air quotes ever uh that was also the year the year that we were all in knoxville together was the year that mickey bonner passed away on stage uh and chad i think you were actually the one who reminded me who the guy was because all i remember is some guy just collapsing on stage during a speech during the evening sessions that everyone attends so i mean how many thousands of people were in that auditorium or it actually was an arena right how many people arena. were were there yeah. 10 to twenty thousand families with an average families. of five children per family so yeah you're talking yeah probably 40 50 maybe even sixty thousand people in this arena and this Mickey Bonner guy comes out on stage. He's he's given his sermon lecture, whatever it's called. It was a sermon, uh, and just collapsed <laughs> yeah. in the middle yeah, of it. And you remember it vividly, right, Chad? I remember it. Um, well, I, I remember it, it, it insofar that uh, in addition to the people in the arena, you also have families who were in the dorms as well, watching mm-hmm. on closed circuit TV. And that was us because we still had small children at the time. And after I did my little stint and singing the alert cadet choir, you know, we hightailed it back to the um, back to the dorms. We watched it from there. And I remember like being profoundly bored watching this guy and like, you know, going off and reading a book or something. And then dad saying like, hey, you need to show some respect. Someone just collapsed. And I looked up and there was just nothing on screen. Like the guy had literally just been there. I looked away for like maybe two minutes and I looked back and it's blank. So, and then I remember uh, Bill Gothard like coming up saying like, okay, everybody needs to pray and what have you. And uh, my understanding is from the people who were in the room, they said like he made them like, you know, get on their knees and like pray in their seats and everything, which is, you know, good to distract them from the, the stage itself. The tragedy but, um, that just happened. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and like the, alert, every eye closed, well, you know, every you head have, bowed, no one looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
well you have like all the alert uh guys like, yeah you know on mm-hmm. on the front row so they got up and started administering cpr mm-hmm. but by all accounts he was pretty much dead when he hit the ground yeah and um it's all part of the show boys all <laughs> exactly. part of the show well, the next morning, I remember I was in the arena because Gother comes out and he, you know, does this huge dramatic speech. Yeah. After we had done our songs and everything, he's like, you know, we prayed for our dear brother, Mickey Bonner, who passed away last night. And, uh, it, and he starts going off on this whole thing about how he somehow had a premonition it was going to happen. And yeah. he left his coat on the stage. Like that was, that was Bill's whole thing. Like when they took him out, he left his, you know, suit jacket on stage. And that was like symbolic of passing on the mantle to whoever the hell. So Bill Gothard tried to capitalize on this guy's death. It was like, seriously, he never had anything that he didn't try to like, you know, make part of the grift. It was, it was just so like the whole thing was just so surreal. And I was, I was actually in the arena when it happened. And I think mm-hmm. I, I think I told this story on, on a previous episode. So it's, it's my family and then some of our friends that we'd actually caravan down to Knoxville with, uh, standing behind us in the arena. And I remember the guy, uh, behind me saying something along the lines of he's, he's been struck by the Holy ghost or something like that. And that's why he collapsed. I remember hearing that like, Oh, yeah, maybe he's just smitten in the spirit right now. And I didn't just watch a guy die on stage at 14 years old in front of, you know, however many thousands of people were there. I mean, it was just the weirdest, most surreal experience. And (laughs) the reason I don't remember a lot of, you know, what we went through at Knoxville with the challenges and, you know, the other activities, and, and you seem to have a crystal clear memory of it, Chad, uh, obviously, you, you know, there were, uh, when I left the cult, I experimented heavily with various substances. And so I think that's kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, disintegrated a lot of those memories for me, but that is one that I recall vividly. And I don't think like, I've never heard of Mickey Bonner's name before that moment. I think that he was a guest preacher. I don't mm-hmm. know how involved he actually was you know, with the ministry, um, I sold out his book that night. If I recall, did they really, or, I mean, I would imagine, I'm pretty sure we have a copy somewhere, but yeah, I don't, you know, to be fair to the guy, I don't know what his actual involvement in, in the Institute was. And unfortunately forever, his name is associated with it regardless Mm -hmm. one way or the other. I think he was just a friend of Bill Gothard's right, Chad. Yeah, he had a lot to say about spiritual warfare. That was his yeah. thing about like, you know, re- yeah, the, the whole thing about tearing down strongholds and all that. A lot of that he contributed to and all that. Like Bill would take ideas from people and to be fair, like he would let them up on stage and talk and stuff. And that seemed to be this guy. But uh, yeah, l- like you said, it was when I understood the gravity of what happened and everything, like, you know, even though I didn't see the moment he collapsed, like I still remember like the mood in the room when it was announced that he had in fact died. And it was just like, it was treated as like this huge moment that, you know, was going to like change things forever. And apparently it did. Cause from my understanding, the attendance went down the next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And honestly, how are you going to top that? That's rude. I shouldn't say that. Uh, rest in peace, Mickey Bonner, but <laughs> Good but God, can, can I say that. something though about the uh, about like you know the whole alert 
uh, cadet thing because one one of the things you know about making it all significant and you know adding the spirituality to it. Um, you know, because I had such a hard time on the second day of it during my birthday, my dad actually did take me out to like the mall there locally uh, to get me like a burger and an ice cream and to say happy birthday and everything. The entire time we were out there uh, celebrating my birthday, he's giving me this lecture on how the reason I can't do all the alert cadet stuff was because uh, I wasn't spiritually ready for spiritual manhood. And that was his fault. He had failed as a man to teach me all those things. And uh, <clears throat> and if, if I had been more spiritually ready, of course, I mean, the fact is, I was not athletic. I had a Commodore 128 computer, and that was the main thing that I spent my time on. I was learn teaching myself how to program and stuff like that. And I was happy as a clam doing that. So to get out there and immediately start trying to do all this physical stuff, I just wasn't good at it. But according to dad, you know, from what he was learning that week, you know, I had to be, get ready for the spiritual warfare that was about to happen. And that whole thing with Mickey Bonner just kind of solidified that for him. And I'll never forget, while we were walking through the mall, we walked past a Victoria's Secret. And I remember nice. he looks over at me and he says, right, he, he goes, and also, son, you know, since you're 12 now, you know, some things are going to be changing. You're probably going to start being curious and noticing some things and looking at things you're not supposed to. So I'll make a deal with you. If you tell me if you're ever tempted uh, to look at things like that, I'll tell you when I'm tempted too. okay? Now, I was a what? sheltered, <laughs> naive homeschool kid. I knew a fucking trap when I heard it. Excuse, excuse my French, but I knew that was a trap. I never did that. That was the one thing I was like, no, he will never hear about that. I wouldn't have told him just so I didn't have to hear when he was tempted. That's gross. <laughs> no, thank you. Let me no, tell you about you. this hot pair of tits I saw today, son. Like, yeah, what? Man, that waitress just bent over. Did you see that? <laughs> oh. Those mannequins we just passed, uh, what, eight, eight, nine, ten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right. You're, you're so right in that observation, Chad, because – everyone they tried to put everyone in the same box it didn't matter that you were interested in computers and i was more interested in you know athletic stuff we had to be the same man for those alert cadet challenges and it was all proving yourself through you know physical exercise feats of strength you know this kind of stuff it it didn't (laughs) and, and that's such a fallacy and it really it's hard to get past that for a lot of people you know that manhood is not defined by how many push-ups you can do good because <laughs> yeah. hey, I, I pretty much failed that the first day <laughs> now, chad did you ever spend any time at at the compounds at the training centers unfortunately i didn't um by the time i was old enough to really did you say unfortunately uh, and all that well, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fortunately, <laughs> by the time I was, uh, well, I, and I say unfortunately because um, I, up until recently, I never really like appreciated just how much the people who have been through that and everything had been through so much trauma and everything. And I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I didn't realize how good I had it by missing out on all that. And I feel kind of guilty that, you know, so many of my friends and all that uh, went through it and I didn't. And, you know, mm. but 
you know, the survivor's guilt type thing. Right. But, um, but I, I was over in Europe uh, after, you know, that same year in 97, we actually fully moved to the Netherlands and Belgium as missionaries in December of that year. And um, I stayed there throughout my teen years and they just simply could not afford to send me back to work at the training centers. Gotcha. I think at that point, mom and dad started to move away from uh, IBLP, the shiny happy people cult uh, for my younger siblings. Uh, it wasn't quite working for them. So they ended up like, putting them on a Becca VHS tapes and working more solidly with them. They kept me uh, doing the wisdom booklets up until I graduated. And um, yeah, at that point, like after I graduated, it, there was nowhere else to go, but pretty much on my own. So I just kind of skipped all that. But my older brother did go to Indy for about three months. I want to say uh, back in the mid nineties, I want to say 95 and um, whatever happened there, he, you know, he came back and just did not want to talk about it. So, mm. yeah, uh, he did mention something about like a lot of the same kind of stuff we did alert cadet. Like there was a lot of physical uh, stuff that they put people through, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was a traumatic experience for him. And do you know what program he went for? Was it one of the counseling programs or was he being rebellious? And so your parents sent him there? Only my older brother, like he was the golden child, so I don't see any chance in hell that they would have sent him off for rebellion. Oh. But it very well could have been like a uh, counseling program type thing. Interesting. He was gone for some time. Yeah, I, I I think it was 1999 that I went when they had first started the the life focus program, uh, and so mm -hmm. I was there for a couple months. I was supposed to be there for longer, but as we've talked about before, I uh, I got kicked out by Bill Gothard himself uh, for you know, various behavioral problems. I was sent there for behavioral problems and then got kicked out for behavioral problems. He was afraid was that if he hilarious. kept you around any longer, you were going to defile the feet that were meant for him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> gotta get I'm this just, kid out of here. I'm just so glad Lindsay wasn't there when I was there. You know, oh who knows God. what would have happened. <laughs> you would have defeated the purpose of the program. Oh, I will be here all week. Very and, uh, nice, no. chat. That That's probably our number one pun on this podcast of all time. Congratulations. You will yeah. be getting an award for that. I think I it's just going to be a, a, a silver foot. <laughs> a silver <laughs> the, the prestigious <laughs> silver foot award. If you wash it, it changes colors. Ooh, fun. <laughs> it's a mood foot. <laughs> yeah, I was about to, it's like a mood ring, but a foot. A foot. <laughs> so, so your parents started drifting away from, from IBLP, from the cult. Uh, while you were still in, in Europe. And, and at what point did you disassociate completely? It really came about um, when I started leaving fundamentalism itself. I stayed in throughout my uh, early 20s and such. Uh, I started working for churches here stateside when I moved back. Uh, I was a music minister for a couple of them. Um, I saw a lot of how the sausage was made. I saw some really abusive pastors mm. and I'll never forget, you know, I, I talked to my dad about it. I was like, Hey, you know, there's some really messed up stuff happening. There was one pastor who abused his wife, who somehow was elected to stay in the church as pastor. Um, there was, you know, all this stuff happening. And I remember my dad's answer to everything was, well, stuff like that, we don't really need to talk about because that could hurt the ministry. And I remember when Recovering Grace came out and all the allegations started dropping there. I confronted my dad with that, too, because one thing I noticed when I came back here to the States, a lot of my friends here in Alabama 
I started hearing from them, like some of the same stories of abuses that happened in their family or while they were at the training centers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I approached my dad about, it. I was like, wait, this keeps happening. What's going on? He's like, well, it's not our place to really talk about it, you know, and we don't know the whole story and blah, blah, blah. I was just like, but this is what I was raised with. I'm like, yeah. this is fundamental to my being. This is what you took me out on my 12th birthday and told me that I had to learn in order to be a man and to meet with your approval. I think it's absolutely our place to talk yeah. about it. I'm like, <laughs> this is our place to talk about it. Like, why, why are we doing this? And he's just like, well, you know, it's just, it's not the sort of thing that, you know, we should be talking about. I'm like, well, I didn't sign up to hurt people and people are being hurt. So at that point, that was when I started being more vocal about like, hey, you know, what I was raised in was wrong. And once Bill Gothard resigned and everything like that completely tore it for me. I was just like, yeah, the whole thing was, you know, just complete BS. And I frankly deserve better uh, as far as education went, as far as like, you know, being raised went. Because, you know, I suffered a lot of physical abuse that was prescribed by IBLP. And sure. I was, you know, denied a lot of opportunities because my parents felt that I had to stay in the system. Um, and it was just just so many things that I missed out on so many things that, you know, uh, and what, what bothered me more than that was the fact that my friends, the people I grew up with, the people I looked up to were causing issues or were causing harm. And mm -hmm. I had to completely break down everything that I've been taught and start over from scratch. And, you know, and, and a lot of people, because I've been very vocal about it on TikTok ever since, you know, that's where I started telling my story. A lot of people come by and they say, well, you, you know, you just never really were into it in the first place. I was like, y'all, I tried every which way I could to stay in. I tried every which way I could to try to reconcile what I saw happening with my own eyes. And the best I got was we can't talk about it and right. it's not really happening. And I said, and that's just, you know, it, it's unacceptable. Like I... I was not able to get away with, you know, uh, something innocuous like watching an unapproved movie, but people are causing harm and they're facing no consequences. No, yeah, that, that's not what I'm about. So, yeah, from there, um, I started being a very vocal critic of, uh, of fundamentalism in general, but specifically Bill Gothard by BLP. If people accuse accuse you or us of like not really believing and not really it's like, oh, yeah, because um, I want to just throw away half my life and say, oh, well, that was worthless. It's like, mm -hmm. come on. We were we were in it. We were in the trenches. We were part of it. And we wanted it to be true because otherwise now we're looking back going, gee, I wish I had that time back. <laughs> That's a great point, Bryce. What what do we have to gain by admitting to ourselves and other people we were wrong for a good portion of our lives. Like, where's the glory in that? It's, All these truth balloons I had lying around, I got no uh, use for them. Now. <laughs> My truth balloons, what am I supposed to do with them all? I can't sell them on eBay or nothing. But it's it's the same <laughs> argument that people, you know, come at us with for, for, for you know, folks that have, have left Christianity, right? I mean, that is the go-to argument Oh, well, you, you just never really were a Christian. That's the whole problem. It wasn't that, you know, you believed and now you no longer believe. It was just that you never believed at all in the first place, which is such a cop out and an excuse. I think it helps that person quantify what their belief is. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, well, 
this this is this is what happened to you it's not going to happen to me i still believe i'm a, i'm a believer you know so you obviously just weren't a christian otherwise you 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 still would be obviously just, well, you know what it really is? It's just victim blaming. It's it's nuanced yeah. victim blaming. That's really all it is. Like, oh, this this was something that was traumatic and harmful for you. Well, that's that's actually your fault. Because you didn't believe is. hard enough. That's what we that was what we were taught. What did you do to offend God? Like, yep. Man, what didn't I do? Apparently. <laughs> Well, and, and also going back to what I said earlier about like no families really followed all the IBLP rules, all the shiny happy people cult rules all the time. Uh, and I believe that was by design, because if something went wrong in your life, the people uh, who were in charge of IBLP, Bill Gothard or any of the other little cronies that he had, you know, his underlings who were high enough up to judge you, they could point to something that you weren't doing according to the book. Like, yeah. oh, you know, like, uh, you know, there was a. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be trying to be discreet about the thing, but like, you know, a common problem was, you know, stuff happening between siblings and yes. such, uh, you know, oh, well, obviously you had a TV in your house and mm -hmm. therefore, you know, that's that's why that happened. Or, oh, you know, you had a cabbage patch doll in your house and that's why your kids drawing pictures of fire and stuff. It's like, you know, anything that didn't fit the narrative, they could find something that you weren't doing correctly because no one lived up to the impossible standards that the cult had, even Bill Goff himself the difference is bill gothard and all the higher ups were important mm. whenever they failed it was an attack from satan it was a misunderstanding it was something they could excuse if you're important you get excused if you're an underling and if you're you know low supporting all this with your you know money and everything they trap you in further by making you feel inferior yep that's all there is to it and when Bill Gothard stopped being useful, that's when he got the boot. Yeah. I, I remember a specific instance, Chad. It was a brother that had abused his sister. I, and mm -hmm. We heard about that. We, had, we heard about one instance of this in the Shiny Happy People documentary with Josh Duggar. That kind mm -hmm. of stuff happened a lot, more yeah. than anyone wants to believe. Uh, but this other instance that, that I'm referring to, they blamed it on rock music. Oh, yep. it was because he was listening to rock music. And that is how Satan got his, his foothold in his mind and in his heart. And that is why he abused his sister. I mean, disgusting that, that makes my skin crawl. Well, and also too, like when, when everything came out about Gothard's abuses and the allegations coming out with that, I brought this up to someone at my church at the time who, who was a huge Gothard fan. I said, hey, did you hear about this with uh, Bill Gothard, the allegations that came out? And his response was, well, he said he was going to stop doing that. <laughs> like, hold on, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, he, he, he had been touching some girls in a grandfatherly way, and he said he was going to stop doing that. I'm like, first of all, that ain't grandfatherly. Second of all, People knew about this, really. You knew, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and this is not even someone who spent time up at headquarters, really. This is just some guy in Alabama who's a friend of mine. And I was just like, "Wow, okay, cool. That thanks for looping me in, bro." <laughs> that, and and we've talked about that before as well, Chad. That this this was a known issue. Yes, with Bill Gothard, he just wasn't held accountable because he was the spiritual leader, and if if he was sinning. Well, the whole thing falls apart. And, and so I think to me, 
that's why it's infuriating that IBLP is still around with a lot of the same leaders that knew exactly what was happening behind the scenes. They were aware, never held him accountable, and they are still teaching these principles, indoctrinating people. Anyone who will hear it, they'll tell them. I still want to go to Big Sandy when they're having a conference and just have a, have a sign. It's like, if you need help, call or whatever. Like, After everything that's happened, I'm pretty sure they have a wanted poster with my face on it, so I probably couldn't get within five miles of it. But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you, John Cornish, Lindsey Williams, Laura Smith, Brooke Arnold. I mean, y'all are y'all are definitely on the IBLP most wanted list for sure. Well, I mean, we we weren't this time last year when Lindsey and I went to headquarters. That was fun, but uh, <laughs> that's the last time we'll be able to pull that off. <laughs> Wait, you and Lindsey both went to headquarters last year before the documentary that came is out. That's the thing that happened uh, this past week, one year ago. <laughs> I have not heard about that. Can you can you share about that experience? Okay, sure. So, um, so Lindsay and I, uh, last year, we had talked about this cause we had heard that IBLP was, uh, selling off some of their furniture on eBay from headquarters, like, uh, or, uh, or Facebook, uh, marketplace. And we'd seen this, we're like, that's weird. So let's see what's going on. Uh, she was going to be in the area anyway. I drove up from Alabama to meet her up there. She flew and, um, it was the first time we had ever met in person. We had been friends for some time before that. But um, we actually met, uh, and I, I have to add this detail, because she had had some issues getting up uh, there, her flight had been delayed or whatever, the rental car agency gave her a discounted upgrade to a Maserati. So what? she pulls up. Yeah, <laughs> she pulls up. I, I was already like staying in a hotel there. She pulls up to the hotel in a Maserati. And I'm like, okay, so we're going like low-key clandestine. Got it. Very L.A. Um, Love it. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. So so she drives. I'm like, I ain't touching this thing. You're driving. <laughs> we we go to headquarters because she used to work there. I've never been in my life. So I'm like, I really want to see this because, you know, headquarters, the production center and everything had always been like this big advertisement of showing the stately nature of IBLP, right? So we pull up uh, to the uh, – uh, to the loading area, like where they used to like load all the trucks and everything. And they had a little parking lot back there. I did notice, like I expected to see this little wooden sign that said Institute and basic life principles that I know that I've seen on like some of their uh, advertisements or whatever. It was no longer there. Like anything that had ever identified these buildings as being IBLP had been taken down. I'm like that's interesting. So we pull into this parking lot and uh, I look out uh, at their loading area and I see all this furniture that's like covered in tarps. And I was just like, that's interesting. Meanwhile, Lindsay is pulling on doors. Uh, so, She's going to get in one way or another. Like, seriously, I look over and I'm like, seriously? She's like, I ain't come all this way just to walk around the, the, the back, you know? So I was like, all right, cool. So she finds an open door. She's like, you in? I said, Hell yeah. So we go in and uh, like, I, I'm nervous as heck, but I said, look, we got to be legit. So we need to call out, see if anybody's here, you know, see if we can like get anybody's attention. So we're all like, hello, anyone here? That sort of thing. Um, their printing area, their production area where we 
entered in at and everything. Uh, there were just boxes everywhere. There were like some old printing equipment that was on, but, you know, just kind of humming in the background. But no one around there it looked like Scooby-Doo. Like there's this haze in the air. There's all this crap. And we're walking around yelling and nothing, you know, lights on in random places. It was just bizarre. So eventually, like, she goes upstairs, I follow her along, and we go all the way up to the top where her office used to be. And she's showing me around her office, and, you know, she, and there's, like, one chair, and there's an industrial shredder with a trash bag next to it. And I'm like, well, I can tell you what's happening here. <laughs> uh, and as we were walking around, yeah, as we're walking around, I, I noticed that there was this man sitting in an office with his back to us. So I grab Lindsay, I, like, pull her back, and I'm just like, okay. I said, there's someone sitting there. Do you know who that is? She really couldn't tell. Like, it was a kind of a distorted glass and everything. So I was like, well, we need to make this legit. Let's, you know, go around. I said, let's let's walk as if we just come up here. We'll call out and we'll see what happens, right? So the guy who comes out, um, he turns out to be the head of finance for IBLP. He recognizes Lindsay right off. And of course he doesn't recognize me. He doesn't know me from Adam. So like, he's just like, Lindsay. And, uh, you know, she's like, well, yeah, he's like, what are you doing here? And, you know, we told the truth. We're former students, former employee. We had heard that they were, you know, selling off stuff. And we just kind of wanted to see what was going on and just visit for nostalgia's sake. And he looks around and he goes, well, we're a little short on staff right now, but yeah, feel free. (laughs) I was like, was he the only guy in the building? Well, apparently there was one other person who was like uh, handling the uh, actual sale of like the Facebook furniture and everything uh, that somehow didn't hear us when we had come in. But yeah, like uh, he told us, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm just here to like, you know, document all the sales of everything. We're trying to move everything down to Big Sandy. I was like, well, are you going to Big Sandy? He's like, oh, no, I'm set up to work from home. I'm like, why the hell are you here? But uh, (laughs) So because it's October, there is no heat on in the building. This building is really freaking cold. Uh, this dude's like wearing like a trench coat on top of a three piece suit. And me and Lindsay, like the whole time, the whole time we're talking, like e- every time I say something, I keep thinking, roll a performance check, roll a performance check. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> let, let's see if we can get through this. Dude's just like, yeah, sure. Just, you know, have fun, walk around, you know, just don't mess up anything. We're like, yeah, it's fine. So um, we go all the way over to the other end of the, uh, of the building on the same floor and everything. And I, I look at Lindsay and just in the loud whisper, I'm like, what did we just do? <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. <laughs> so we, we went around, we took pictures we, and he gave us permission, like to go over on the other side of the road and take pictures of like the old building that she used to live in and Gotham's wow. old office and stuff like that. And yeah, we just, uh, we walked around the property and, you know, I, I took a couple of videos that she's now currently uploading to TikTok. Um, uh, just documenting like, you know, how she felt at the time. Cause I was asking her questions like, how does it feel? See this, you know, all that sort of thing. And I did take pictures and I'll share them with you later, but I did take pictures of her sitting on the hood of the Maserati in front of Bill Gothard's office as kind of a final <laughs> flex to say, Hey, we're here. Where are you? I'm doing great, <laughs> bud. Did y'all go into to Bill's office? No, uh, there had been a water main break in uh, that building. So that building had been entirely condemned. It's no longer habitable and it was locked up tighter than the production center building. But isn't um, that yeah, ironic? For, right? Bill <laughs> uh, Gothard's former office had been condemned. Yes. 
Wow. And, and th that's the thing, though. Like, without all this expendable labor, without all these, you know, teenagers working for free and everything, there's, like, paint falling down uh, from the ceiling of the carport. All the uh, pillars are, like, chipped and worn. There were broken windows in the production center building. Obviously, we weren't the first students to visit. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the buildings themselves from a distance look impressive. When you walk up to them, they are literally falling apart. Mm. And I think that's the most perfect metaphor for IBLP in its current state that there ever Absolutely. has been. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's a perfect metaphor for how IBLP has always been. That's <laughs> you true. Know? Yeah. But the thing is, like, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit. And I remember Lindsay saying, you know, it, it feels like it's being erased. Everything that happened here, you know, it feels like it's going to disappear and, you know, nobody's going to care. Uh, but then we talked a little bit further. And we're like, you know what, though? Like, the story is still there. The docuseries is going to come out because at that point it was October last year. So it hadn't come out yet, but like, you know, the docuseries is going to be out. The, the stories are still there and what actually happened will never be changed. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what happens to these buildings. It matters, you know, the people who were involved and ultimately, you know, that, that, that was our takeaway from it. It's, it, it kind of felt at the end of the day, it felt good to see it all fall into ruin. I just wish that it would ruin a little bit faster. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> wish I could just burn it all down. <laughs> Personally. So does, so yeah. does IBLP because it's probably insured. <laughs> well, it's already canned. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Well, and also all of it's still tied up in a lawsuit. So, yeah. Oh, so the lawsuit stuff, I can't wait to get into that chat. And I think what we'll probably do is have a live stream with you and potentially even Lindsay let's let's all get on one together and just kind of talk about what's been happening lately with bill gothard and trying to regain control of iblp through a series of lawsuits which is just again so ironic to me mm. um how is it how has it been for you chad just kind of deprogramming from all this stuff i mean what's that experience been like for you well, initially, when I first left uh, fundamentalism and when I started deconstructing the whole IBLP teachings, because I started going to therapy like right mm -hmm. off when I realized there was a problem, I started, you know, having panic attacks, like I said, in the docuseries. And I had had like a series of really bad relationships that all ended terribly. And I was like, well, obviously something's wrong with me. So let's go try to get some help. So I started seeing a licensed therapist who for like two or three sessions asked me nothing. All she did was ask me questions about my upbringing mm. and we just kept going deeper and deeper into it. And I'm like, this is weird. Why aren't we talking about the relationship stuff or my panic attacks or anything like that? And eventually like about a fourth or whatever session she goes. So here's what I think's happening. She's like, have you ever heard of a high controlling group? I was like, no, she's like, I feel like you're into that. And here are some of the characteristics. And she started describing um, both the independent fundamental Baptist denomination that I grew up in and IBLP. And I was like, Oh, and she said, and people who are raised in this tend to exhibit these traits. And she said, and here, that's what I'm thinking happened. I was like, and right away, cause I was already like, Hey, something's wrong. I got to fix it. Uh, I was very open to, okay, well, great. How do I get rid of this stuff? And it, it felt like, such a freeing sensation because you know she was like you need to give yourself permission to figure out what's right for you and to trust your instincts and to trust your gut you know whenever you uh she suggested because she was a christian counselor she suggested that i go you know explore other churches that were not what i was raised in 
And she said, and anytime you walk into a church and you immediately like hear a voice in the back of your head saying there's something wrong, leave. She said, Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's a good church. It may very well be. But she said, trust your instinct. What what's happening is your survival instinct is telling you that something is safe or not safe for you. I need you to learn to start trusting that. And that was a huge thing for me. Um, And that was very freeing at first. But then it hit me. I was like oh no, that means I'm responsible for literally everything that happens in my life from here. (laughs) Because (laughs) growing up, like it had all been planned out for you. Now you got to figure this out. And I'm in my mid twenties and I'm like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta really, I didn't get a head start on this. So, you know, it's uh, through therapy and through uh, great books that I've read and through, um, you know, very wise people who have encouraged me to like share my story on different platforms and in different ways. Um, I've been able to uh, really break down a lot of the problems of what I was raised in, uh, build up what my ethics and ethos are now. And I have met so many amazing people who have helped me on my journey, um, including uh, Lindsay and Heather. I started telling my story on TikTok back in 2020 because my counselor said, you need to find a way to get your story out there. And I think you'd be good at performing it because I do improv comedy and everything. And she said, you like being on stage? Why not go perform your story? I said, we're in the middle of a pandemic and no one's going to watch. <laughs> Middle-aged white guy complains about his life. I, that stand up, I don't do that. But uh, no offense. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but I was like, well, there is this app where I'm limited to 60 seconds. At least I won't rabbit trail, right? So I started telling my story in like little increments. And eventually, like it started getting a small following. And from there, I met uh, Lindsay Williams, uh, our mutual friend, and uh, Heather Heath, um, who is a backslidden harlot on TikTok. She was also in the docuseries. And, That's her um, profile name on TikTok, backslidden yeah. harlot? Amazing. Yes. I <laughs> love that. Is she single? Yep. Uh, no. She is. Oh, okay. Well, she is not. Though. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should read her book. It's it's very interesting in that regard. But um, but yeah, it's um, uh, you know, I got to meet friends there. I got to meet friends like um here locally in the improv scene, comedy scene, uh, theater scene, and everything. Um, I got to meet friends uh, who were you know in similar uh, situations to me growing up and you know people who had never even heard of uh, fundamentalism or had never graced a, a church before and diversifying my friend groups and everything and especially like connecting with uh, uh, people growing up who I come to find out later were um, uh, on the LGBTQ uh, spectrum of things mm. uh, who suffer greatly under homeschooling way more than I can ever imagine. Like, you know, connecting with the, those folks and meeting them where they're at and, you know, learning, relearning how, re- relearning who they are authentically, like that has really helped me. And really, more than anything, more than all the therapy, even though I highly recommend it to everybody, the interpersonal connections and the people who have helped along the way yeah. have been the biggest asset to it. And you guys. So, yeah. Uh, ever, ever, seriously, I've been watching y'all's uh, stuff, and y'all have done such a great job breaking down the cult and explaining it to everyone and uh, really amplifying the voices of those who are speaking out against it. Um, you know, you're definitely part of that. So, Oh, thanks, yeah. man. Uh, that's really cool to hear. I'm, I'm so glad. Uh, and it's just, 
it's so good to hear that you allowed yourself to experience life after this this cult and this trauma because that's what you're talking about you know really being able to experience life and and learn who you are you mentioned you know establishing your own ethos that goes back to something that bryce says all the time know thyself right uh and you're doing that and you're you're doing it in some traditional ways like like therapy and, and this sort of thing but but you're also doing it in the ways that feel right just for you establishing relationships with people who don't have any experience in this just just so you can have that personal connection with someone who can give you a different perspective on life i mean that's just the coolest thing that you're able to to go out there and and do this and and i think that uh that resonates with me for sure because it's exactly well not exactly how, how i dealt with you know leaving the cult um you know i kind of accelerated my whole um deprogramming experience with with drugs and alcohol uh but once i got past that that period um you know it really was exactly what you're talking about um trying out new things figuring out who who i really am what i really Mm -hmm. enjoy and appreciate and and the people that i truly identify with you know one thing going back to what my therapist said about like that inner voice that tells you whether you're safe or not um, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, we used to have a song that we would sing in Knoxville every morning talking about the weapons not being carnal or the war of flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. There was one line in that song that I remember vividly, casting down imaginations that rise up against his hand, boldly bringing to subjection every thought to his command. I remember there was one uh, speech that we got where they talked about, like, our biggest enemy was our own imagination and our own mind, anything that didn't Mm. quite jibe with what we had been taught and anything that ran contrary to the basic principles or the character qualities we were taught and stuff like that. And what they were doing was they were teaching us to not trust our own critical thinking, to not trust our own minds and to be suspect of anything that we desired or that we wanted for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think helped me in my healing more than anything was one time I said something self-deprecating during therapy or, you know, just something just kind of off the cuff. And she was just like, I want you to stop right there. She said, when you, before you said that, when you heard it in your head, whose voice did you hear that in? I was like, what do you mean? She said, I don't think that you came up with that thought by yourself. I think you've heard that somewhere. Whose voice did you hear it in? I thought about it. I was like, come and think of it. Yeah, I did hear it in my mom's voice. And she mm. was like, exactly. It was like, you know, you need to, you, you should probably start to really think, especially when, you know, you have these thought loops or you have these uh, moments and because they will happen in deconstruction where, you know, you, you get in that little panic mode of, oh, you know, oh my God, am I on the right track? Am I doing the right thing and all that? Like, ask yourself, whose voice am I hearing this negative talk in? And am I hearing what's best for me? Am I hearing my own voice and am I trusting it? And that to me, because we were always taught that that little voice was a demon trying to get you to do wrong things in that stronghold, but learning to trust yourself. And like you said, Bryce and baby know thyself, that is so, so key. So I'm glad that y'all are uh, pushing that out because so many of us who are raising the cult more than anything, we need to internalize that. Absolutely, dude. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for people like you, uh, that have recognized that and are getting the message out 
Um, this is not your sin nature talking. <laughs> this is your instincts, your, your inner guide, whatever you want to call it, trying to protect and help you. Which is why sometimes I hear it in Batman's voice, too. Love that, dude. Wait, the Christian Bale <laughs> Batman voice? Oh, Kevin Conroy. Ke I don't even know what that voice sounds. I'm going to have to go look that Batman, up. And the animated series. I was about to say, oh. he's about to go deep, full nerd. It's going to be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bryce is like, uh, yeah, just <laughs> ignore This is him. why you fainted during repelling, Chad. This is why, right here. Fair. <laughs> hey, Batman repelled. <laughs> yeah, Batman did not faint. Chad, this has been absolutely incredible. I, there's so much more I want to talk about. And so I definitely think following this up with a live stream, we'll try to get Lindsay on too, so we can hear maybe a little bit more about the experience uh, in Oak Brook, but then also mm -hmm. talk about, you know, just what's been going on lately with IBLP and how just absolutely insane Bill Gother. I, I truly do think he has become senile at this point. Just what I'm reading, some of the stuff that, that you shared with Bryce and then Bryce shared with me, this guy's, this guy's losing it. If, if he hasn't lost it completely already. Um, so we'll talk some more about that. But in the meantime, where can people find you online, Chad? They can find me primarily on TikTok at uh, Arch Reddish, which is no big secret. It's Chad Harris mixed up. Um, I'm also at Arch Reddish 85 on Instagram. I swear someday I'll start posting stuff to that more. <laughs> and um, yeah, anywhere you see Arch Reddish online, it's probably me. Sometimes I'll pop into Duggar Snark on Reddit and just be like, oh, hi, guys. Anyway, bye. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I'm still here, y'all. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, uh, just, uh, just follow me on all the things and, uh, yeah. And yeah, look out for more cult talk and, you know, sometimes I'll do collabs with Lindsay. So yeah, good stuff. And, and you're also in a lot of our, our live streams in, in the live chat and you are always the funniest person in there. I have cracked up more times reading your comments than anything else. Uh, absolutely hilarious. I'm so glad you do improv. Maybe, maybe give some thought to putting together a stand-up set dude we could we could go on tour together you know how fun would that be mm. we can go we can do the cult tour oh man I've, I've said it before we need to do we just put our conference together and we'll get we'll get so many people <laughs> we can hold it in knoxville listen uh, guys we can start our own cult okay yes <laughs> i don't even need to be the leader <laughs> well you know what Lindsay would be the best leader actually she would be oh yeah she would have to be the cult leader for sure she was the one pulling on the doors, remember? Okay, so that's right. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's leading from the front already. Hey, Bryce, do you want to tell them about the uh, the new merch store? Yes, okay. we have lots of uh, cool T-shirts up right now. Uh, we've got all of the Davy Jackson stuff, his stand-up things as well. So if you want that, ask me about my cult T-shirt. It's up there. My my little personal quest of looking out for all of our customer service and customer support people. I have the uh, all I want for Christmas is for you to remember your password T-shirt. Uh, check it out. I, I love it. It's a great design. Um, and you can find it at is it friendswithdavy.com and customerservicesurvivor.com? They go to the same place. That's yeah, it all goes to the same merch store. So however y'all want to get there, uh, I think we also have uh, a link on our on our YouTube. So however you get there, go check it out. Uh, and thank you all so much for your support. Chad, thank you again for being here, man. I can't wait to talk to you more about this stuff. Uh, but um, I, I just, I want to reiterate again, 
how grateful I am for guys like you that are out there sharing the message and making sure that even if an organization like IBLP is still trying to promote these dangerous, harmful teachings, at least there's guys like you out there trying to warn people. Uh, so, so thank you so much for what you're doing. Hey, thank you for having me. And hey, it's great to talk to y'all in person. Can't wait to do it again. Absolutely. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. And we will see you next week. We love you. Bye, y'all. That's the other thing I, I, I just remembered. The, the search and rescue mission that, that we went on for the Alert Cadet Challenge I got kicked in the balls harder than I have ever been kicked before by one of the other cadets. So that is my that is my most vivid memory of the search and rescue challenge is getting kicked in the balls. Um, which that poor cadet. What task he, were you trying to complete? <laughs> I, don't, I, I do not recall. He he was like it, for him it was just a joke. Uh, but boy, my vengeance was swift and furious. I, I sucked him. No, 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 no. Uh, I, <laughs> wow. No, the, the, the kick that I delivered back, he, he threw up and I feel bad about that. Obviously I feel bad about that, but yeah, he, he threw up. I kicked him back so hard. <laughs> you retaliated in the same spot. Yeah, you have to. Eye for yeah, an eye, ball for true. a ball, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that's one of the yeah. missing books of the Bibles. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>